Good morning, everybody. You're so welcome to Cornerstone if you're visiting. And um, please do stick around for tea and coffee after the service. So we're going to be continuing our series in the book of Jonah. Today's reading is from Jonah chapter three, and we're going to be reading from verse three, or verse one through to the end. So it's Jonah chapter three. Either follow along in the screen behind us, or if you have your own Bible with you, this is God's word. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did and how they had turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's pray before John comes to speak. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning declaring that you are God Almighty. Father, that you are eternal and that you are sovereign, reigning over everything. And in light of that, Lord, help us to know that our days here are but a breath, that God, you have been and always will be for all eternity. Thank you that you are a God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And God, just like we read in this passage today, Lord, that your mercies never come to an end. That when we repent of our sin and turn to you for forgiveness, Lord, that you are willing and able to forgive us. Father, we pray that as John comes to speak to us um, with this passage, that God, that we would be found to be like the people of Nineveh. That God, that we would be remorseful of our sin but at the same time, we would be able to rejoice, knowing, Lord, that when we repent, come to you for forgiveness, Lord, that you will do just that. And we thank you that that is only possible through the blood of Jesus. Thank you, God, that he condescended, he came from heaven to earth to bear our sin and shame on the cross. And that, Lord, when we come to you and um, bow our knees and humble ourselves, knowing that we are a sinful people, that God, your forgiveness and your restoration and redemption 
can flow over us. So I pray that over this place this morning. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just anoint John in this moment, that God, whatever he has prepared through this passage, that Father, it would speak to us here in the room, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our kids' rooms and those who are leading and teaching there as well. We just lift the name of Jesus high in this building. Father, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning and that we would come before you now, humbling ourselves, knowing that we need forgiveness, that we cannot in any way achieve on our own, but purely through the finished work of Christ on the cross. Come and be amongst us now, Holy Spirit. And we just pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Steph. Good morning, everyone. Good to be with you this morning uh, as we are in Jonah chapter 3. Just if you're joining with us this morning for the first time in our Jonah series, let me just give you a brief, a brief bit of context of where we are, and then we'll jump into Jonah chapter 3 together. Jonah chapter 1, the, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. He says no, he runs. He goes for the furthest place possible away. And we know the story of chapter, chapter, the end of chapter 1, chapter 2, Jonah is swallowed by the fish and then is spat up on dry land. That's the context. That's where we find ourselves this morning as we head into chapter 3 of Jonah. Now, there is one banner that goes over. If there was one banner to speak out over the book of Jonah, we find it at the end of chapter 2, and it is this. Uh, Verse 9 in chapter 2 says, salvation belongs to the Lord. That is the, the banner heading over Jonah, the book of Jonah. That is the great declaration that stands over this whole book. It is God alone who saves, whom He wills, when He wills, and how He wills. And what we see in chapter 3 is that very thing playing out in reality. God saves whom He wills, how He wills, when He wills, and that's what we see working in chapter 3. And what we have in chapter 3 of of Jonah is essentially this, revival in Nineveh. Revival in Nineveh. Now, I wonder what comes into your brain or what comes into your head when you hear that word revival. Maybe it's a, a, I can't remember, but maybe it's a 1990s Robin Mark number. I don't don't know. Uh, But I wonder what comes into your head when you hear the word revival because it means many things to many people. But this week, I've been doing a bit of reading around uh, some of the great revivals that have happened over the years, uh, the 1904 Welsh Revival, stuff like that. Uh, and there seems to be a few consistent themes in revival. Now, we can all say, we, could, we all love to say, we all pray for revival, we want revival, and, and we would love to see revival. But I'm not sure once I go through the consistent themes that are, are actual real revival, that, that will, well, let, me, let me tell you. And it's very funny, it so happens that we happen to have a prayer gathering this evening. Engage is on tonight at 6.30. One of the first marks of revival, the first mark of genuine revival, is heartfelt prayer. The first mark of genuine revival is a fervent prayerfulness of the church. Second, 
spirit-filled preaching. Third, a new love for holiness and a loathing of sin. A consecration to God and His Son, Jesus Christ. A new zeal for the gathered church. A new appetite for God's Word and obedience to it. Those are the marks of genuine revival. Those are the consistent marks of genuine revival over the years. And those are, that's exactly what we'll see in Nineveh. It's exactly what we'll see in Nineveh. Fervent prayerfulness, spirit-filled preaching, a love for holiness, a loathing for sin, a zeal for the church gathering, an appetite for the Word, and obedience to it. And so, how do we see this play out in Jonah chapter 3? Well, first of all, I want to uh, I've, broken, I've broken this down into three parts for us this morning. The first thing we see here in Jonah chapter 3 is a, is a God who relents. A God who relents. Compare verses 1 to 3 of chapter 3 with the first three verses of chapter 1, and you'll see they're, they're almost identical. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. They're the same words again. The the same call comes a second time to Jonah. He's commissioned once more with the same ministry. But remember, Jonah had already defected once. He had run away. He had abandoned his post as a a prophet. Uh, He had betrayed the trust that God had given him as a prophet, and he fled to Tarshish. But the word of the Lord comes to him a second time. This commission comes a second time. It's almost as if God hits the reset button. I'm going to give you a second chance here. Let's go again. Let's go again. We're back at the beginning. Having saved Jonah from death, God now recommissions him for this ministry. He's given another chance. And what we find here in, in the way that God deals with Jonah is often, very much often, the way that he deals with us. And I don't know if if you've ever heard of the analogy of the the stick of the carrot. But that's how God deals with us, the stick of the carrot. We've seen several times already, uh, as, as God has worked through Jonah in this book, he runs from the Lord, but God won't let him go. He's tried his best to get away, but God won't let him go. And so what does God do to get him back? Well, He disciplines him. He disciplines him to bring him back to faithfulness. And that's how we see God restore Jonah. And not only, and this is really important, not only to personal faithfulness, but to public usefulness. Not only does, does, God doesn't say to Jonah, right, okay, I'm going to bring you back into the fold here, but you're not allowed to do this. I'm going to bring you back, I'm going to save you from death, I'm going to restore you, but you're not allowed to do this area of ministry. You're not allowed to do that area of ministry. Really, really amazing that God says, right, I'm going to save you, you've run away, I'm going to bring you back, and I'm going to commission you to the exact same work that I gave you before. 
When God brings us back, it's not as if He gives us some secondary task to do. It's like you've, 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 you've messed up here, so I'm going to give you something less to do. That's not the way it works. That's not the way God is. But He disciplines Jonah to bring him back. And as I've said over the last few weeks, sometimes that, that is to awaken us, the discipline. He uses the stick or the rod to discipline us, to awaken us, to bring us back, to make us see where we are, to make us run to Him. But just as any tender father does, he, he sometimes uses the carrot as well. And he shows unbelievable grace to Jonah. If he ever only showed the rod of discipline and never showed him the, the, the unbelievable grace that he does, we might lose sight of the loving heart of God. But this is a perfect father who knows when to discipline, who knows when to show grace, and does it perfectly at the right time. And so he shows mercy, he shows uh, grace. He, he does both discipline and grace. And it's the same with us. And what the story of Jonah is showing us here is this. And let's not lose sight of this. Our God loves to show mercy. Our God loves to show mercy. He loves to save people. Even when His people don't get it, even when they don't obey as they ought, even as, uh, if we walk in disobedience, He prefers grace to judgment. We need to understand that. If we want to understand the heart of God, we need to see that. We need to see that He prefers grace to judgment. He loves to show mercy. And that's exactly what we're going to see and we're going to read in chapter 3. This is the experience of the Ninevites. As Jonah preaches the word to them that the Lord gives him, the people are convicted by it and they turn to him and he shows them mercy. And what we see in chapter 3 is what genuine repentance looks like. The Hebrew word here used for, for repentance is literally turn, turn away. That's what repentance is. Repentance is not this. Repentance is not here on a Sunday morning when, when I make you feel really guilty about your sin. I make you feel really bad about how you've been really bad all week and all. And then you be like, oh no, Lord, what have I done? And I'm so bad. And, and, that, and, and you say sorry. And then on, on, you go out of here and you think, oh, I'm never going to do it again. And uh, Monday morning you do exactly the same thing you did the day before. That's not repentance. That's just feeling guilty. Repentance is a turning away. A, repent, a repentant heart is, here's my sin. I see my sin clearly. I am turning away from it, and I am going to do everything that I can not to do that again. That's repentance. Let's be clear, it is not guilt. Repentance and guilt are not the same thing. Repentance is a turning away, 
Guilt is fleeting and can disappear as quickly as it came. And what we'll see here is this is a genuine repentance from the Ninevites. But what we see in verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, there you go, turned, they stopped. God relented of the disaster that He would do to them, and He did not do it. As I said, Jonah is a lesson for us. God loves to show mercy. He loves to save. If He saves an unrepentant, we, we looked at it last week. Did you notice the trick question in your home group questions this week? No? No, you didn't? Right. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. There was a wee trick question. List the, the, the elements of repentance in Jonah's prayer. There was none. There weren't none. He was unrepentant. And if God saves an unrepentant prophet, how much more is He going to save a repentant city like the Ninevites? He loves to save. All the, all the, hungry, all the hungry leaders are out there going, dang it. Dang it, skins. He didn't tell us. No, he didn't. Uh, he loves to save. If God, we all know the verse. We read it in Psalm 130 when we began. If God were to deal with any of us as we deserve, who could stand? Who could stand? Not one. Not one of us. He loves to show grace. He loves to show mercy. And He is free to bring anyone into His kingdom that He wants to. What he's saying to Jonah here is, you're not better than the Ninevites, Jonah. I can do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, how I want. I can bring anyone into the kingdom that I want to bring into the kingdom. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will relent when I want to relent. I will do whatever I will. And unless we see the uselessness and the hopelessness of our own situation until God entered into it, I don't think we understand the gospel. We can look at the Ninevites, or we could look at the the city of Nineveh and think they're so far gone, and and, and that's what Jonah probably thought, they're so far gone, they are so dead in their sin, they're doing all these wrong things, they're doing all these bad things. They're too far gone. And we have a temptation sometimes to look at other people like that as well. But unless we as individuals understand how far gone we were, we will never understand the gospel. You couldn't have been any further from God. The Bible says we were dead. And who made us alive? Him. He made us alive. Nothing to do with us. All to do with Him. He made us alive. 
So what we see here is a God who loves to show mercy and a God who relents. Now, we move on to our second point here, and this is the second point we see in, in Jonah chapter 3, and it's the message. We see, we, we see that there's a God who relents, but we also see that there's a God who rebukes. And the message that, that God gives to Jonah is the same message that he gave the first time. We have a one-line summary of the preaching ministry of Jonah. In verse 4, let me read it. Jonah begins to go into the city. So this, the, the word comes to Jonah again, and he goes, Jonah uh, goes into the city, began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. That is Jonah's preaching ministry in a nutshell. Some of you wish that's what Sunday mornings were like. We'd be out of here by quarter past 11. Brevity. Jonah was the master. But it's not the most heartwarming of messages, is it really? It's not live your best life now. It's, it's not come to the Lord and everything's going to be okay. It's not that. Look at what it is. Look. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This word overthrown can mean two things. And it's really interesting. It's a really interesting word. The word overthrown can mean either destroyed, completely obliterated, done, or turned around. It, in the Hebrew, it means two things, either completely obliterated or turned around. The Word of God comes to the city of Nineveh and says, if you do not repent, I'm either going to destroy you, but if you do repent, I can turn this around. That's what the Word of God says. And if you look, the, 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 the word that comes to Jonah is almost identical. Again, the same commission, arise, go, But there's, there's some things that have to be said here about this preaching that, that Jonah does. And one of the things is, is this, and it's vitally important. He simply states what God has told him to say. No more, no less. He simply states what God has told him to say. It is God's word that Jonah is preaching. It is God's word. Jonah is not walking into Nineveh devising or thinking of some way in which he can manipulate the people into believing the message that he has for them. It's not what he's doing. He is simply preaching God's word. He is simply there to deliver the message that God has given him. He's saying what God says, nothing more, nothing less. That's why in verse 5, uh, as they listened to Jonah's message, the people of Nineveh believed God. Do, do, you see, do you see how short that is on the outcome? Forty days, you're going to be overthrown, and the people believe God. Why was that? It was because Jonah was preaching God's Word 
not his opinion. It was directly from God. God was speaking to them. Do you, do, you, do you feel the force of that this morning? Because I certainly do. Jonah came preaching, but it was God that was talking. God was rebuking their sin. God was dealing with their hearts. That is what true preaching is. When you can look at the page and you can see, yes, what the preacher is saying matches with what's on the page, that's preaching. And when the preacher says what God says, it is God who is speaking. They didn't believe Jonah, they believed God. Jonah comes preaching, as I say, both good and bad news in this one word. Yet 40 days Nineveh will be overthrown. It's both good and bad news. If you don't repent, you're going to be destroyed. If you do repent, God can turn this around. As I say, as summaries go, the summary of Jonah's preaching ministry in verse 4, he is, is a master class of brevity and clarity altogether. In a single sentence, Bad news, bad news is threatened and grace is given in one sentence. How will they respond? How will you respond? How do you respond? When you hear the Word of God preached, do you believe God? When you hear the word of the Bible come to you through me or through anyone, do you believe God? Because certainly when I get up here on a Sunday morning, I don't want you to believe John. I want you to believe God. And as this is preached, as this is opened up and read, as this is opened up and preached and expounded, uh, it is God that is speaking. Do we understand that? That it's not me. It is God. If it's me, and you think it's me, and I have, I'm off text, you have every right in the world to come and say to me. Every right. But if you can tie what I say to the text, then it is God that is speaking, not me. That is massively important. Folks, I know, and I say it all the time, because I, I know it's happening. Be really careful what you listen to. Be really careful what you're listening to. If you cannot tie exactly what that person is saying to the text, turn it off. Turn it off. Do not listen to it. God speaks through His Word. How will you respond to it? Will you believe God when He speaks? God speaks. The message that comes to Jonah and comes to the people of Nineveh 
is repent. And what we see then in Nineveh is genuine revival. And it's really helpful, actually, that we see the marks of genuine revival here in Nineveh. Because what we have in our modern world are are labels thrown on on things all the time. We like to do that. We like to to say something happens here, oh, and it's revival. Or we like to see something, oh, that's that's a revival. That's what we like to do. But we need to be a little bit more discerning than that, and we need to actually look a wee bit further and see what it is. So, Revival is some. This is a definition of revival. Revival is something that God does in the hearts of people as they hear the Word of God preached in the demonstration of the power of the Spirit. That's what it is. Revival is something that God does in the hearts of the people as they hear the Word preached. And the first characteristic of revival here that we see in Nineveh is faith. The people believed God. Not just, and it's more than that, not just did they believe Him, but they did what He said. It's more than just a a theoretical knowledge or belief. They had faith in God, and they did exactly what He told them to do. They believed Him. They trusted Him, His Word, His promises. They believed Him. Do you have that faith in Jesus? Not just some sort of theoretical head knowledge or uh, a belief that He exists. But do you believe Him? Do you believe on Him, as the old preachers would say? Do you believe in His life, His death, His person, His work? Have you received and are resting on the fact of what He has done on the cross as your only means of salvation? Do you believe Jesus? Or is it just in here? Yeah, he existed. Yeah, he did the things he said he did. But are we doing what he told us to do? It's a genuine fear of mine and for us as a church and for for believers all over the world, actually, that, that we, we know Jesus in our heads. But are we doing what He asked us to do? Jesus said Himself, those who know Me will do what I ask. But the, so there's a faith. They believed, they, they genuinely believed God here. And they did what he asked them to do. The second thing here that we see characteristic of true revival, genuine revival, is this deep and true repentance. Deep and true repentance. 
These two things go hand in hand. They're always found together, faith and repentance. Wherever there is saving faith, there will always be a repentant heart. Whenever a sinner repents, he does believing the gospel. They go together. What we see here is genuine repentance. They believe God and call for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne. You see, even the king there, he arose from his throne as a symbol almost of, of I'm not the sovereign one. I'm not the one that's in charge. He arose from his throne. How he humbled himself, steps away from his throne. He even disrobes and puts on sackcloth. He issues this royal decree uh, that, it, that asks the entire city to fast and let them call out to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and let the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent. Revival comes with real repentance. True, deep, lasting repentance. If that's what revival looks like, faith and genuine repentance, a turning away from sin, Is that what we're praying for? Is that what we want? When we think of revival, when we sit in here tonight, and we will sit in here tonight, uh, and we'll pray for people to come to know Jesus, and we'll pray that people in North Island get saved, and we'll pray that South Down, there's churches planted all over South Down, we'll pray all these things that we pray. Are we praying that people would come to faith as in real, genuine, believing on Jesus? And are we praying that they will truly repent? And are we going to truly repent? It starts here. It starts in this room. If we, if we want revival, if we want to see king, the kingdom grow in this town and in South Down, it starts here. It starts with us. We need to be the ones on our knees. Like, there's a weather warning for tonight, right? 50 mile an hour winds. But as far as I know, we're not having the prayer meeting outside. And as far as I know, you don't all drive convertibles. starts here. It starts with this church praying. It starts with this church repenting and meaning it. That's where revival starts. It starts with this church having a desire for holiness. It starts with this church having a desire for prayer. It starts with this church having a desire to, be, to, to abhor sin and put it to death. It starts here. 
Just imagine. Just imagine what it would be like. It must have been amazing around those Welsh valleys in the early 1900s. Thousands of people. Thousands of people come to the Lord. Thousands of people giving their lives to Christ. Thousands of people repenting. And, and, and the stories out of those revivals are just absolutely amazing. Could it be? Could it be that God could do something similar in our time? Absolutely. But do we really want it? Do we want it? It's just, it's a wee bit like the choice that is given to Nineveh, isn't it? In that one word sentence. You have 40 days. I'll either destroy you or this can be turned around. Your choice. That's literally what God says to him. You have 40 days. Either repent or I'm going to destroy you. But it's up to you. And they believed God. They believed God. So they cried out to God and he answered. Look how this ends in verse. Next week's going to be amazing, by the way. Just saying. Not because of Alan and I. I haven't even started prepping yet. But just reading the text. It's going to be class. Jonah's raging. <laughs> He's raging. That's class, wasn't it? Uh, right. Uh, look how this ends. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them. And He did not do it. The Ninevites take hold of God's mercy through repentance and faith. And here's the, here, here's the facts, folks. God has never turned anyone away that has come to Him. Never. God has never turned anyone away who has genuinely repented and, and, and asked for forgiveness. Never. However wicked, however wayward, however far gone they may have been, no one ever came to God genuinely seeking mercy and have been turned away. Never. That's the reality of our God. He died the just for the unjust to bring us to Himself. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the good news of the gospel. None of us deserve it. And yet when we came and when we sought His mercy, He gave it to us freely. Really. I wonder this morning, is there anyone in this room who 
who has not yet believed on Jesus. Yes, you might know who he is, believe all the stories, believe what he's done. But I wonder, is there anyone who has never actually put their faith in Christ and, are, and is trusting in what he has done for their salvation? If that's you, think of Jonah. Think of the predicament he found himself in and how God showed him grace and welcomed him back and set him out again on the same task that he'd given him previously. He, if you come to Christ this morning in genuine repentance, wanting to turn away from your sin and wanting to put your faith in him, he is standing with open arms ready to receive you. All you need to do is run into them. All you need to do is run into them. So what we see this morning from Jonah chapter 3 is what we have a God who relents. We have a God who has a message, which is both discipline and grace. And then we saw a revival in Nineveh. To finish, do we want it? Starts here. Starts with us. Starts with us praying. Starts with us repenting. Starts with us having faith, just as the Ninevites did. Do we want it? Let me pray. Father, surely. Even as I utter those words, do we want revival, I am convicted in my own heart that surely there is only one answer. And so we pray for it. Father, we pray your spirit would move. Father, give us a heart for the lost. Give us a heart to see the world around us as you see it. Uh, and have compassion on it, just as Jonah couldn't see. He couldn't see that you would even show compassion to the Ninevites. Help us to look around us and see those who need your compassion, who need your grace. And Father, we plead for a passion for prayer to come to you, the Almighty to pray for the lost, that you might relent and that you might show them mercy. Father, speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.